Thank you for standing by, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to today's webinar. We have with us Mr. Nicholas Bornotis, President of Capital Link, organiser of the event. I must advise you that this conference is being recorded today. We now pass the floor to Mr. Bonosis. Please go ahead. Good morning to everyone. This is Nicholas Bornosis, President of Capital Link, and I would like to welcome you to the Capital Link webinar series. Today's webinar will feature the New Ireland Fund on the topic of opportunities in Ireland, the growth story continues. We are delighted to have with us today our feature presenters from KBI Global Investors Limited. There will be a Q&A session after the presentation. Webinar participants can submit questions through the special button on the event page titled, Ask a Question. Please note, you can submit a question anytime during the event and your question will be answered during the Q&A period. I would like to mention that the opinions expressed by the presenters are not intended as legal or investment advice or advice of any kind, as a matter of fact, and are provided strictly for informational and educational purposes, and Capital Link bears no responsibility for them. Furthermore, the presentation may contain forward-looking statements concerning future events. Please save the date for our 17th annual Closing Funds and Global ETFs Forum, which will take place on Thursday, May 17, 2018, at the Metropolitan Club in New York City. The forum will qualify for continuing education credits as in previous years. And now I will turn the floor over to Lelia Long, the treasurer of the New Island Fund, who is going to introduce uh, our speakers today. Lelia, please go ahead. Thank you, Nicholas. Before I begin, I need to make our required regulatory disclosure. This webinar is for informational purposes only and should not be regarded as an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any financial product or as an official confirmation of any transaction. Investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges and expenses of the fund before investing. The prospectus which contains more complete information about this and other matters should be read carefully before investing. To obtain a prospectus, please call one 800 468 6475 or visit our website at newirelandfund.com. As you know, the fund recently announced a one for three transferable rights offering. Under the terms of this offer, all shareholders are entitled to one right for every common share held on the record date, which was November 3rd, 2017. A shareholder may subscribe for one new common share for every three rights held. The rights will expire on December 6th, 2017. We thought this would be an opportune time to provide our shareholders with an update on the Irish market, the portfolio, and the opportunities that we see. Today we are joined by Noel O'Halloran, Chief Investment Officer, and Owen Fahey, Chief Economist from KBI Global Investors Limited in Dublin. Noel is the Portfolio Manager for New Ireland Fund. If listeners have any questions during the webinar, please email investor.query at newirelandfund.com and we will address as many of them as we can at the end of the presentation. To all of those listening in, thank you, and we hope you find today's presentation informative. I will now hand over to Noel. Thank you, Lilia. Um, so on slide two, uh, just to remind everybody uh, of the New Ireland Fund and the case uh, for investing in the fund, uh, and to reiterate in many, in many ways the themes of recent years. Uh, so as a summary on slide two, we show firstly in terms of Ireland, um, the strongest and one of the strongest growing economies in Europe that remains in place. Uh, from my perspective as a portfolio manager, the fundamentals just continue to improve 
and that's been a that's been a yearly thing since the, the financial crisis of 2008 to 2010. And what we're seeing from a portfolio point of view is, is nice, strong, organic earnings growth coming through that's not being driven by debt or financial engineering in the balance sheets of the companies. Uh, the new positive over the last 12 months has been Europe uh, and the European economy itself with the strong momentum that we've seen coming through in Europe. And that's really helping the growth and the attractive valuations and the earnings growth of the, of the Irish companies. Uh, in terms of the New Ireland fund itself, Clearly, the fund uh, invests in this growth uh, and in a, a core portfolio of 20 to 25 stocks that really play on this growth. So it has been uh, shown to have very strong performance and outperformance versus benchmarks. Uh, as we show on the slide, uh, there is a strong managed distribution policy for shareholders, and that's um, a function of the board who have continued to drive this managed distribution and being well received by shareholders. And finally, I suppose from my perspective, one of the other new dynamics this year has been that exposure to Irish equities against the broader European index uh, has been something that people have been desiring more and more of. So with that, I'll hand over to my colleague and chief economist, Owen Fahey, who will give you an update on the Irish economic. Hello, and thank you for joining us today. Um, my role is, if you like, to set the scene, uh, looking at the outlook for the Irish economy and indeed at, at its recent performance and talk about some of the issues affecting that on the positive and negative side. If we start with slide three, very basic and simple chart of uh, Irish GDP growth relative to that of the Eurozone. The absolutely uh, clear uh, outlier there, and that's very obvious from even a casual look at the chart, is the performance of Ireland's uh, economy in 2015 when it was recorded by the statisticians as having 25% economic growth. The best thing I can tell you about that is to largely ignore it. That was the result of an accounting maneuver by some very large, extremely large US multinational corporations that essentially moved some of their intellectual property portfolios uh, into the Irish economy from um, essentially a, an offshore position. That had the statistical but meaningless effect of boosting Irish GDP that year. So let's just put that to one side. It's not particularly important uh, or meaningful. And let's look instead at the pattern of uh, the years before that and after that. And what you can see is that in every year for the last five years, Irish, the, uh, excuse me, Irish GDP growth outpaced that um, of the Eurozone. It really has been a very strong performance with growth typically coming in something around the 4 or 5% uh, uh, mark in recent years and likely to be, the last couple of years, and likely to continue that uh, over the next couple of years as well. In the early years, this growth was a rebound from very from the severe crisis that hit before that, but more recently it marks a return to growth driven by long-term very positive fundamentals like Ireland's highly educated workforce, its pro-business set of policies in general, the climate there is generally pro-business, uh, its attractive tax regime, its access to the single European market and so on. However, because of the odd nature of GDP statistics for a small open economy like Ireland, we look at some more numbers now to see do they back up the GDP story. So slide four looks at the unemployment rate of Ireland and again comparing with that, with that of Europe. Uh, when you do that, you can see immediately that the unemployment rate in Ireland, uh, which of course is easy to measure, accurately measured and uh, is internationally compatible, uh, has fallen now all the way to six, a little over 6% uh, at the last data point. And that compares favorably with the rate in Eurozone that's about 1.5% above that. You can also see from that chart that it's not that long since the Irish unemployment rate was far above that of the rest of Europe. So Ireland has gone from a 
poor and high un, uh, unemployment rate, much higher than that of the rest of Europe, uh, to a significantly lower one now. In a sense, that's a backup or a check that the GDP number is real. It indicates that real jobs are being created. The GDP growth is not a statistical anomaly. We can also, uh, on the next chart, on, on chart five, um, it, it's very important to point out that this economic growth has not been achieved um, by means of a build-up of debt. In fact, this chart, which simply simply shows the level of consumer debt, uh, shows a very substantial fall in the level of consumer indebtedness over the last uh, 10 years or so. So far from uh, growth being fueled by some sort of debt binge or anything like that, the growth in the Irish economy, the improvement of the unemployment rate you've seen on the previous slide, and in many other economic factors, has been achieved at the same time as the, the private sector in particular has been paying off debt and reducing its level of indebtedness, which I'm not sure if that's completely unprecedented in economic history, but it's certainly extremely unusual and is very healthy um, in a sustainable sense for the future of, uh, of this economic cycle and for the ability of the economy to grow for years to come in the sense that it's certainly not been driven by a debt binge. Um, uh, if, uh, speaking about debt, uh, slide six then looks at the government fiscal position this, um, and shows the government deficit for the last number of years. And as you can see, back in 2011 and 2012, that deficit had reached very high levels around the 10, 11, 9% mark over those years. But in 2017, uh, the, uh, budget, uh, the, the budget for 2018 uh, that was announced earlier this month uh, projects a deficit of just 0.3% for 2017 and 0.2% for 2018. I mean, really very, very close to budget balance. Now, as you well know, I'm sure, there are extremely few countries anywhere in the world, uh, developed countries anywhere in the world that are running uh, a budget balance or something close to it. Just about every major developed economy is running a large deficit at the moment, uh, the notable exception being Germany, of course, um, uh, and Ireland uh, compares extremely healthily to its peers in that sense. Very positive to see that type of trend. Again, this economic growth is being led by healthy factors and not by either a public debt increase or a private debt increase. If we turn now to slide seven, uh, this is looking at where Ireland uh, positions is positioned in terms of its uh, exposure to the global economy. The global economy, as you know, is growing at a pretty solid pace at the moment. Most major economies, all major economies are growing. None of them are in recession. And in that context, Ireland is very well positioned to benefit from that growth. The Irish economy is a huge exporter. Germany is known all over the world as an export economy, uh, but actually, as a percentage of GDP, proportionately speaking, Ireland exports two and a half times more relative to the size of the economy than Germany does. It exports almost 10 times more than the US does, and more than six times more than Japan does. So this is an economy that's very exposed to the international economy, uh, and which will do well when the uh, international growth climate is pretty good. Uh, if you look at the next chart also, we take a focus in on the Eurozone, uh, on Europe, uh, on, on page 8, uh, excuse me, slide 8, um, which just shows a few economic indicators for Europe, uh, which is very important to Ireland. Obviously, we're part of the Euro European uh, economic area. Uh, and you'll see there that uh, GDP growth, which is the bars, pretty solid between 2 and 2.5% two and uh, for the last few quarters, which is very encouraging. Uh, uh, while at the same time, unemployment, also a very important indicator, has continued to decline, as indeed we saw in an earlier chart, not as quickly as in Ireland, but still is declining significantly. At too high a level still, at, at, at close to 9%, uh, but well down to the 11.5% it was uh, not that long ago. 
Uh, part of the, the reason for this is the, the, the disappearance of the political terms, concerns that were there a few months ago. People worried about the French elections, the Dutch elections, Italian elections, and various other factors. Whether a right-wing populist extremist would, would take over and be very, and would win, for example, a French presidential election. That didn't happen. So part of the improvement is down to that, and part is just the continuing positive fundamentals of, of, of the zone as a whole. Obviously, Brexit is a very major issue. There's no question about that for, for, for absolutely, uh, for, for for the Irish economy, uh, without a doubt. Um, and in that context, a few points to note. First of all, a reminder uh, for those uh, not familiar that the UK is scheduled to leave the European Union in a formal sense at the end of March 2019. And it's likely, though not completely certain, to have a transition period of a further two to three years after that, during which time it will still be in the EU in economic terms, but not in legal terms. It's probably the simplest way of describing it. Now, Brexit has a lot of opportunities and a lot of challenges for Ireland. About one in eight, uh, what, one eighth of all our exports, of all Ireland's exports, go to the UK. Uh, and if you do, if, if Brexit does lead to the imposition of border controls, tariffs, customs inspections, etc., that could be quite onerous and damaging to trade. There's no two ways about it. Ireland, um, as you may know, has the only land border with the UK, of course. And interestingly, uh, Ireland's political power in that sense is quite strong because the European side has told the UK that it must make substantial progress on how the border issue will be addressed in how that uh, how how that uh, frontier will be policed, etc., uh, etc., et before any negotiations on the UK's exit deal can move on to the next phase. That gives Ireland quite a lot of negotiating power on how cross-border trade will will uh, will be managed going forward. So that, that is certainly something to watch. But I would also point out that the UK's departure from the from uh, from the EU throws up significant advantages or opportunities. A lot of businesses that export goods and especially services and especially financial services to the EU are now moving out of the UK because of the risks they see in remaining there in a post-Brexit scenario where they won't have access to the European market. Now, as you would expect, when they look around the rest of the European Union to see where they should move to, Ireland is very high on the list of, of alternative locations. We speak English, obviously enough. We have a similar, uh, very similar legal system. Uh, the, the, uh, even the accounting system, stock market listing rules, all those types of things tend to be very similar in Ireland to what they are uh, in the UK. Ireland is also has an attractive tax regime. It has business-friendly economic policies and so on. So what we are seeing, it's early days yet perhaps for this, but we are seeing significant signs of interest and more than signs of interest, concrete um, moves by several businesses to Ireland from the UK, particularly the City of London type of businesses coming to, the, coming to Ireland as a result of Brexit. And that's helping the financial sector, legal accountancy services, those types of services. And perhaps most interestingly, the real estate sector in the central business district uh, of Dublin, uh, but also beyond that, as businesses in London look to locate here. Now, with that uh, theme set, so to speak, in macro terms, I'm going to hand back to Noel, who's going to talk you through the portfolio and some aspects of, of that. So I'll just hand back to you here, Noel. Thank you, Owen. When, with that macro background in place, I just think on slide 10, um, just to put the, the valuation of the Irish market in, in context. So Ireland is, is, is and always has been, from our perspective, a unique and differentiated investment story. I think that still very much is the case. Uh, but, you know, a story is one thing. So I think as investors, we all look at well, what valuation are we paying for that story. So interestingly, on side 10, we can see that despite the outperformance of recent years, that Ireland and the Ireland portfolio is still is at a 10% discount in PE terms uh, to the European markets. And of more interest potentially uh, to our shareholders is Ireland is still at a 20% discount roughly to the US market. 
And this is at a time when the U.S. market itself is at all-time highs, which I will remind people Ireland is still far far off its all-time highs uh, since since the crisis. So the the compelling investment uh, case is still there, I think, in terms of valuation. If I move to slide 11, uh, this just puts the valuation into context. So everybody knows how strong the U.S. bull market has been, and we show here in slide 11 that since March 2009, which is when the bull market started, that the U.S. market is up 341%, and this is all in U.S. dollar terms. Ireland, uh, as an index, uh, is not dissimilar, uh, as we can see on the slide here. And I suppose from a KBI perspective, uh, uh, the, the slide that we and the line that we're particularly proud of on this chart is the top line, which is a demonstration of what active management can do. And this is why the New Ireland Fund, as an actively managed portfolio, has delivered superior performances, superior relative performance over that period. And something I think we're very proud of and something that we're, uh, on a day-to-day basis, actually striving and continue to strive for. If I moved to slide 12, just to give you a sense of the portfolio, uh, for those of you that, that are not as familiar with the portfolio, even though it's it's a bottom-up stock picker's portfolio, as I, I said earlier on, of 20 to 25 stocks, you can see that from a sectoral breakdown, we do have quite good diversification in the portfolio across a number of industries, sectors in the Irish economy. Uh, right now, you'll also see that from this chart, uh, I have a clear preference for some of the more cyclical sectors, such as airlines and transport stocks, and also general construction building materials uh, we are at a point in the cycle where we're seeing strong dynamics, whether it's in residential construction or whether it's in commercial construction or indeed whether it's broader infrastructure spend where governments, whether it's in the US, whether it's in Europe or whether it's in Ireland, are spending more on, on, on infrastructure. So there are some of the themes that are being represented in, in this slide. Uh, also, I think versus the last time we probably spoke on, on one of these update calls, financials has crept up in terms of the weighting in the portfolio. If I bring that on to slide 13, this is probably a, a better way to represent the portfolio, which is looking at the themes that we're playing in the portfolio. So I'm highlighting three themes right now. Obviously, Irish economy exposure, that's a key theme in the portfolio. We're highlighting three names here. One of these is new, and it's a sign of what's happening in Ireland today which is Allied Irish Banks, which was a bank that was predominantly nationalized by the Irish government after the financial crisis. And this year, as a sign of success of the healing of the economy, AIB was refloated on the market to huge success, and the fund reinitiated a position in that, in that bank and has performed extremely well since. Uh, another example of an IPO of recent years is the Dalata Hotel Group, who are uh, predominantly an Irish hotel chain, and that stock listed on the market over recent years, as did the third name here, which is Apple Green, which is a gas station uh, network throughout Ireland, but also with some in, in the UK and indeed of, of late building out some gas station networks in the, in the Long Island area of the USA. So interestingly, they're a sign of how Ireland has moved on, three domestic-oriented IPOs of recent years. Another theme, and in keeping with our macro story, has been the strength of the European recovery. So there are three names in here. Two of them are Irish, playing on the European and Irish recovery. One is Kingspan, which is a very high-quality environmental products uh, company and a company we've had in the portfolio for a number of years, as is Smurfit Kappa, which is Europe's leading paper manufacturing company. And then the new name over recent years, which is a French company called Saint-Gabin, and Saint-Gabin is one of Europe's largest building material stocks. 
and has, again, so many attributes I like in terms of quality management, very good business model, and very attractive dividend yield, and, and complements a lot of what we already own in Ireland very nicely. And then the last theme is a perennial theme in the portfolio, which is what, you know, Ireland may be small, but we've got some excellent world-class companies and world-class management teams, and I highlight three here. Uh, Ryanair, which has, has, has been in the press of recent week for uh, and indeed is always in the press, uh, but they've been in the press over pilot strikes and all the rest in recent weeks, a stock we continue to really like, and, and one of Europe's strongest growing companies, CRH, a construction company with large operations in both Europe and indeed in North America. And then finally, Kerry Foods, which is a food ingredient manufacturer and a global leader in the whole area of, of, of food ingredients. So that's an example of kind of nine of the 20 plus uh, companies that we hold in the portfolio with some changes evident there over recent years. Slide 15, just to bring you up to the, the current uh, rights offering. Lilia's already given you the details, and they're set out here on slide 15. But uh, more importantly, if I jump to slide 16, from my perspective as the portfolio manager, one of the strong questions for me is, with the rights offering, what would I like to do with that money? So firstly, I'm very excited to have more money to invest because I think there's lots of very, very attractive opportunities out there right now. And I, think, I see that in four ways. Firstly, I would look to selectively add to existing positions, and that's through the normal active management of the portfolio. Uh, I think secondly, and probably more importantly right now, uh, as evidenced by AIB, I think we're now, uh, there's one way to manage a portfolio when you're in defense and in a downturn, and but when you're in upturn, uh, that brings with it new opportunities. So AIB is a new opportunity of recent times. There's also companies that I wouldn't have dreamt of looking at in the downturn that I think much more attractive uh, now in a growing economy. So I'd expect to, to see some broadening of the exposure from that perspective. Thirdly, as evidenced by the San Gaban example, uh, there are high-quality European companies complementary to some of the Irish companies and also provide diversification to the portfolio. So I see more opportunity for those types of you know, selective additions to the portfolio uh, a recent one over that we've highlighted in quarterly uh, over the last 12 months has been a, another French company called Veolia, which is a, a world solution provider to the global water crisis that's out there, and another nice yielding utility, which I believe complements the portfolio very well. And then finally, and importantly, and as shown from the three stock names in the previous slide, uh, I do believe we will continue to see you know, selective new IPO opportunities uh, coming through in Ireland over coming years, and to have cash available to invest in those IPOs is something that, that would be terrific. Um, so with that, I'll finish and hand back to Lilia. Thank you, Noel and Owen. As you can see on slide 17, we've given you some details for contact information if you would like to follow up with any questions or have any questions in particular on the rights offering. We have given the 1-800 number and email addresses for both AST Fund Solutions, who are the transfer agent, and also the New Ireland Fund. We actually have received a number of questions uh, during the webinar, so with that, I'm going to go through as many of them as I can. Anyone that we don't get to, we will respond to you uh, via email. Um, the first question I will we've received is that investor investment advisors have been recommending all year that investors diversify by reallocating some U.S. equity exposure to the European markets. Is this still a good idea? Do you think the Irish market will outperform or underperform the broader European market? Yeah, great question, Lilia. I might take that one. Um, 
So indeed, we've seen we've seen portfolio flows back into Europe this year, and I think that's for two reasons. Number one is because the U.S. itself is probably looking more richly and fully valued, and later in the economic cycle. And then Europe, as Owen has has uh, given an outline on, Europe is earlier in its economic recovery, and people have got more confidence in the sustainability of that recovery. So we have seen flows into Europe. I think as happens in cycles, firstly we've seen kind of more passive type flows across the index as a whole, and then people drill down into looking for more active opportunities within it. So as we move to that next phase, I think that's where Ireland is extremely attractive. So as we've highlighted and demonstrated throughout this presentation, Ireland does generate superior growth to Europe. And secondly, Ireland itself, as on a valuation point of view, is looking more attractive than Europe. So I think in both cases, Ireland to us looks a really good place within Europe, which itself looks, looks attractive. Um, another question we've received, and again, Noel, I'll direct this one to you. Um, has there been any material changes in terms of managing the fund recently, um, i.e. change of portfolio manager, investment style, etc.? No, the, the good news is I think in terms of firstly the investment team managing the portfolio, we've been absolutely uh, steadfast and constant, there's been no changes uh, and that, that's been the case for many years now so that team remains totally dedicated to managing the fund and Owen and I are two of the people that you constantly have seen over recent years so we don't expect any changes to that. Uh, secondly, in terms of the portfolio itself, obviously uh, for those of you who look at the web uh, the website, you'll see on a quarterly basis the updates of the portfolio. So there hasn't been any really material changes. We've been in at last half full mood for a number of years now in terms of the outlook for Ireland. I think the changes are, you know, I've shown some of them in terms of maybe those IPO opportunities in Ireland over recent years have been a change. Some of those smaller European names we've added have been a change, but it's all evolution. There's no revolution going on here, and I think that's how we'd expect it to continue that makes our shareholders uh, comfortable and happy. Um, another question more on a macro perspective. Uh, if tax reform is passed in the US and corporate taxes are lowered uh, from the 35% to the proposed 20% and multinationals um, are allowed to repatriate profits um, at a lower tax rate, what impact uh, do you think this would have on the Irish economy in terms of the many US multinational companies that we have domiciled in Ireland? Well, I'll take that one, oh, Amelia. Um, I, I think the just, just for just so that people maybe not that familiar with the issue understand that the, the issue is that the U.S. taxes profits that are made outside the U.S., but if the companies leave the profits outside the U.S., they don't pay tax until they bring them home. Which means that many U.S. companies don't repatriate those profits because uh, they hope they'll never be taxed on them. If the U.S. Uh, tax package that is still under discussion uh, ends up taxing those profits at some kind of low rate, but at, at the same time forces uh, multinationals to bring uh, large U.S. companies to bring the, the, to bring the money home, uh, so to speak. Uh, in theory, what that means is that it, to the extent that U.S. companies were not investing in the U.S. because they couldn't get the money home from abroad to finance the U.S. investment, uh, then U.S. investment is that bit more likely, and non-U.S. investment uh, by way of, of capital investment plans, expanding businesses, building factories, etc., will be that much lower. However... Uh, I think most people that have looked at this issue closely will conclude that lack of cash has generally not constrained um, U.S. investment, that actually a lot of U.S. companies have plenty of cash, even at home, leaving aside what they have overseas. And the issue is more that they, they haven't seen great opportunities for investment in the U.S. rather than they don't have cash to do so. So I think that aspect 
is probably overstated and will have very little impact on either the US or, uh, or Ireland or other countries for that matter. But there is an aspect of the tax reform package, that, uh, it, which while it wasn't directly asked about in the question, but I think it's worth mentioning, and that is the potential move of the US to what's called a territorial-based uh, uh, tax system. At the moment, as I mentioned, US is pretty unique in the world in that it taxes US companies wherever they make their money. So it determines the tax bill of companies basically determined on where their head office is, where their domicile is. And that's why we've seen some US companies move overseas. Almost all of the developed countries that I'm aware of tax uh, based on where the profits are made, not where the parent company has its head office. Now, if the U.S. was to change that, that would be more significant um, and I think would have some kind of an impact on it. I don't think it would be huge because what that would mean is there would be now no, no incentive for U.S. companies to have their domicile in, for, 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 for company, well, I say U.S. companies, for, for, for what we would know as U.S.-based companies, but which had in a technical sense moved their domicile overseas. There'd be no need for them to do so. It would just be a waste of time and it would there be no advantage. So they might move their domicile back to the U.S., However, apart from maybe a few accountants and lawyers that would service their annual accounts, and apart from sort of a brass, a brass plate small operation with a couple of employees that might close down in Ireland or other countries affected, apart from that, I don't think the impact would be big. You would see companies moving out of Ireland and back to the U.S., but but they're not. They wouldn't be the big jobs. The big jobs are here. The big employers are here. The likes of Facebook and Intel and Google and all these. Many U.S., especially tech companies, pharmaceutical companies have operations in Ireland. The, the, the huge jobs they create here are nothing to do with their domicile, nothing to do with their head office, their operations, their sales, their staff, their production, their manufacturing. Those jobs are here for much more fundamental reasons, and they won't be affected by this, in my view. Thank you, no, Owen. Um, I think we have time for one more question. Uh, it's relating to the uh, exchange rates. Um, what do you think the euro might do versus the dollar over the next year or so? And do you think this will help or hurt the fund's performance, in your view? Um, well, I'll start there with, with, with an answer on, on, on the dollar view, at least. Um, I would say we don't have a particularly strong view on that. Um, if, if you look at the sort of fundamentals for both sides, exchange rates, you have to look at both sides of the leg, both legs of, of the exchange rate, I suppose. If you look at the U.S., interest rates are rising, and that generally helps currencies. It helps it. The tax reform is coming, which could be positive or negative. If, if tax reform is finally agreed and passes into law, maybe late this year, early next year, that could be positive for the dollar, help sentiment, help the prospects for growth. Of course, if it crashes and burns a bit like the healthcare package did, uh, then that could be negative for the dollar. And then you look at the other side of the Atlantic and you look at the Eurozone. How is that likely to affect the currencies? Well, for example, um, I think we're looking at fairly decent growth in the Eurozone, so that's positive for the Eurozone to some extent. Uh, we are looking at mild political uncertainty in one of the bigger economies, Italy, coming into next year, which could have some impact on it. We're also looking, of course, at very low interest rates, negative interest rates in the Eurozone, which is dragging down the currency. So I'm afraid I'm going to give you the classic economist answer of on the one hand, on the other hand, <laughs> there are arguments in both directions. And to be honest, I think the, uh, the dollar-euro exchange rate is actually pretty flat. Uh, for, the, for the next few months. But I'll hand you to Noel to talk about the impact of that on the portfolio. Yeah, from a portfolio point of view, it's an interesting question. Um, whilst a lot of the companies are based in, in Ireland and Europe, and therefore the euro is their, their currency of, of choice, a number of the companies that I also highlighted, like a CRH or a Ryanair, some of these are quite dollar uh, exposed as well when it comes to their profits or indeed their costs. So you'll find with a lot of companies, they actually have their own natural hedge against currencies. Ryanair, for example, that it, while the bulk of its revenues are in European currencies, the bulk of its costs is actually dollar-related, which is the oil price. 
So it's something I take account of when I'm looking at uh, the fundamentals in companies, but overall, uh, currency movements uh, tend to take care of themselves, not something that keeps me awake at night. Thank you, Owen and Noel. Um, I'm afraid that's all we have time for on the questions. As I said at the beginning, if anybody um, had questions that they submitted that we didn't get to answer, we will respond to them by, via email directly to you. I'd like to thank everybody for participating in our webinar today, and I hope you found it helpful. Uh, this concludes our webinar.